This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, guys? We had to do it. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. I am here with the one, the only, the oil god, oh, Colin McClellan. What's up, dude? <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, not much. We are busy, obviously, so let's kind of go through a couple different things before we introduce our guest. Well, first off, let me interrupt you. I want to read this good review that we got real quick on the podcast before we go down our show notes list. This one was from Justin Llewellyn. He said, I love the podcast. Can't stop. Don't stop. Tell David Ramson Wood to come back on for a sequel, pretty please. <laughs> you hear that, David? We got to have you on for another one already. Man. The people demand it, man. We got to get, gotta give the people what they want. David's interesting character. So I think David should probably have his own podcast show. <laughs> he probably should. If you don't follow, if you're not connected with David on, on LinkedIn, you should go go follow him. He puts out at least something every single day and it's usually extremely interesting. So yeah, with a with the hashtag with the hashtag hot take of the day. So hot you know take of the he's, day. he's starting the pot. <laughs> <laughs> so we had our happy hour last night. It was the you know the oil and gas global network happy hour that we have here at our office at the Canon here in Houston, Texas. We had like I mean, I guess because we skipped December due to the holidays and stuff, we had a really, really good turnout. It was awesome. Yeah. I had a great time. We a had a lot of energy in the room. I know. I saw four startups that were on our podcast alone that were there. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of good friends. So it was a really good time. Yeah. It was a great time. So if you guys haven't, if you're in Houston, you haven't been to one of those, we do it the last Tuesday of every month. We usually have, on average, 100 to 200 people show up. There's beer, food, great networking. Yeah, just a whole lot of a lot of good times. We've also been busy. I don't know if you guys have seen on LinkedIn. We've also maybe talked about our one episode so far. We have a videographer now. We launched Digital Wildcatters, which is now colonized YouTube platform show extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. So we're just putting out a whole lot more like video content. So if you guys haven't checked that out yet, go to Digital Wildcatters. I'll put a link in the show notes and you guys can go and subscribe. Yeah. I think we're up to like a whopping like 110. 110. It's hard getting YouTube subscribers. It is. I mean... We're at well, we've 5, had five thousand listeners on this yeah, show. We've had such good support on the yeah. podcast already. I mean, we grew almost a thousand listeners this last week alone. I mean, yeah. it's just been awesome having support from the community on there. So, you know, we just gotta gotta get to that two hundred and fifty follower mark on on YouTube. That's our next goal. We passed a hundred, <laughs> Cl- clawed our way up to a hundred. <laughs> We're getting there. And like we mentioned, we've been in talks with a couple different companies about, you know, sponsoring this show and, and allowing us to keep kind of doing what we're doing and provide a lot of really good content to you guys. Had some good conversations, haven't really locked anything down yet. So if you are interested in kind of getting your company in front of this audience and working with us, just reach out to one of us either on LinkedIn or just shoot us an email. We have all the information in the show notes. And last but not least, before we get into the show, we have Energy Tech Night, February 21st. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so we'll be doing our first ever Energy Tech Night, February 21st, downtown WeWork location in Houston. We're going to be having a panel with digitalization experts in oil and gas talking about what's happening in the digitalization landscape, followed by some presentations from oil and gas tech companies. It won't be, it's not going to be, you know, one of these Shark Tank events that everybody's doing. It's going to be a little bit more of an in-depth dive on their technology and their service. And then that'll be followed by some cold beer and pizza. And we'll have a great group of people there. You have investors, engineers, co-founders, entrepreneurs, 
all kinds of people from oil and gas. So it'd be a really good time. You can either go to Eventbrite and search Energy Tech Night. That'll pull it up. You can message me on LinkedIn. You can message Jake on LinkedIn. We've partnered up with Innovate Energy, one of our good friends that puts on oil and gas tech conferences. So it's going to be a really laid back, casual time. It's not going to be some stale oil and gas event in the ballroom of a hotel. It's going to be it's going to be a little bit more fun than that. So hope to see everyone there. Cool. So without further ado, welcome Edward. Is it Eichstetter? Eichstetter. I that, yeah. I Okay. <laughs> I don't have the accent to like really pull it off, but I was hoping I wasn't butchering it. With EKU Power Drive, what's up, man? Hello. Yeah. Thank so you for inviting him. <laughs> you're not from Houston, so where are you from? I know you're out of town. Yeah, well, I'm living now in Stuttgart, and I'm moving to Houston hopefully next month. Yeah. Awesome. So visa and all that is done, but like I said at the beginning, I'm a, I grew up in Venezuela, and been in Germany my last 15 years, so I'm a very weird person in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you're a German, but you grew up in Venezuela. So you said beforehand, you know, we're talking about this a little bit. Your father, he went over from Germany after World War II to Venezuela. Then you grew up there. And then what took you back to Germany? Well, I mean, I've been a technology person since the beginning. And Germany is a very well-known engineering country. And I just had that grounds behind me, and I said, well, it's, it is a good opportunity. And my mom and dad, they they make sure that I went to a German school and things like this in Caracas, and that helped me out a lot. And after I went back to Germany, I didn't go back to Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> Germany is a pretty good place. So yeah. funny story, when we were in Switzerland, we were on the German side of Switzerland, and <laughs> we go to this German restaurant, and Jake's like, <laughs> Jake orders the Wiener Schnitzel, and they bring it out to him, and I know that this motherfucker was expecting a hot dog, <laughs> like, because I don't know if you've ever seen here, you know, we had we used to have this chain of restaurants, and they're still up in some parts of the United States, but it's Wiener Schnitzel, and it's just a hot dog place, yeah. and so Jake ordered that, and I know he's expecting a hot dog to come out, and when they just brought him, you know, German Schnitzel, he looks up at me, and he's just so confused, but ended up like, I mean, the Schnitzel I, I ended up was, loving it, it was yeah. way better than a hot dog, to be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I was, was so great. confused when they brought it out, I'm like, I don't think this is my place, where's my hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your company, EKU, yeah. tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Well, what we do usually, it's, if you want to say it in an easy way, we do electrification and digitalization for oil and gas equipment. And our first product, it's helping frack pumps to be more efficient. Yeah, And what we tell most of our customers, yeah, if you have an investment of $1.5 in one frack pump and you get only seven, 8,000 pump hours, and if you install our equipment on it, you're going to get 14 to 15,000 hours, pump hours out of it. Yeah. So that's a huge increase in efficiency. And to do that, well, yes, there is a lot of electrification and digitalization, but that's kind of the value proposition that we propose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, frag pumps aren't cheap. So, I mean, that's a, a no-brainer if you want to make them more efficient and get more lifespan out of them. So how does this actually, let's talk about it in the use case of a frack pump. How does this technology actually make a frack pump more efficient? Yeah, well, I mean, everything started when we were in Germany. And one of our founders, Manuel, he was working for MTU. So we had a lot of 
know-how on the load profiles of these frag pumps. And most of the oil and gas, they look only downhole, and we say, well, we look uphole what happens up there. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And especially even before the downturn, it was worse than now. They, they idled up to 70% of the time. And it's different than a car when you do maintenance depending on engine hours and not miles yeah mm-hmm. so whatever you did if you were idling you were paying for that hours yeah and that kind of make our our attraction into it and we look at it and it, on the first step it was to see okay how why why is this happening yeah? and the, and then we found out that the tractor on the on the frac pump is actually starting the engine and it is a huge pain to start that engine and then we say okay this this is not working yeah and our automobile background from Stuttgart, we say, well, this this is something that we need to electrify it, and we put a lithium-ion battery into it, and we're starting now this frag pump's electric, yeah? And similar to a car, when it goes to a red light and it stops, and, you know, you want to still listen to the radio, you want to still, still have mm-hmm. AC, so everything is kind of working, and it's making it ready every t- to, mm. to the next step, so you, when you press your throttle, it goes on, and you drive. And the frag pump is very similar. When they're doing a frag stage and they finish, they go and press the quick to idle button, and then the, it shuts down automatically, and then we make all the conditioning for this frag pump to work and have it ready for starting at any time when the operator wants to start with a RPM request. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I have like a brand new Jeep, and it has that feature. It's the first car I've ever had that has the feature that it like turns off at the stoplights. Mm-hmm. First off, I hate it. It's something about it bothers me. <laughs> but I know looking at the the average fuel economy hmm. that it makes a gigantic difference whenever I, I keep that feature on as opposed to when I turn it off yep. from an efficiency standpoint. And I read a couple of articles about that the other day that more and more cars are going to be doing that because it actually – you think that just like whenever you're sitting in a light or you're sitting in traffic that it wouldn't make a difference, but it makes a huge difference over the course of like, you know, especially like a day or a week. It starts compounding over time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this is just a much, I mean, it's a very similar, but a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, a car, and usually you, over the lifetime has 10,000 hours of operation, something like this, and a frog pump does 10,000 hours of operation in two years. So, the savings, it's gigantic, and, uh, you know, a red light is usually a few minutes maximum, and this between stages, now that people are doing super fracking, it can go from 45 minutes, but there, if there are issues, it goes down to three, four hours, and in some there's, cases... There's always issues. Yeah, and there is always <laughs> issues, yeah, and in some cases, there are bigger issues, and then that goes for three or four days, yeah, and we have some data from units that we have that have been 48 hours usually would be idling and we just maintain it working all the time Mm -hmm. without idle. Okay. So let me make sure that I'm on the same page. So you have this, this frack pump that's idling. So is the tractor, the tractor can still run. And then the, because usually you would engage your frack pump and everything that's on the trailer, you know, with your PTO and it all be powered by the tractor, right? So with y'all's technology, does the electric start, you could still run the tractor trailer when it's idling, but the equipment can be segregated or? Yeah, no, this one big part of it, uh, especially when we launched the product, the main, one of the main ideas was to eliminate the tractor, especially because those tractors are standing there in the well pad for six weeks now. Mm-hmm. And it's not really required now. So they 
most of the service companies, they have a huge fleet of tractors that they can get rid of half of it and, you know, make the footprint smaller on the well pad and they don't need the tractor anymore with our technology. Interesting. So you're completely replacing the tractor. Yeah, and you have the tractor bring the freight pump out there and then yeah, you don't, get you the hell out. Yeah, you need only the tractor for transport. Yeah. 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 And yeah, bring it out there, drop the pump off and then go away. You guys yeah. can yeah. How and big how big is your unit? Yeah, I don't know in foot inch, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know, this big, this big you know, Okay. It's, uh, oh, so that's pretty it's like a, pretty small, so probably like three by three, three yeah, by three, two. Three by three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it fits usually under the pump control. Okay. So it's what we do, we replace the lead acid batteries. We add the electric starters, we put some oil pumps for circulation on the transmission and on the engine. We have a coolant pump to heat up and you know extend this ready time, yeah, engine mm -hmm. off but ready to start at any time. And we replace the alternator in a way that we can control it for charging the lithium ion battery, which is something very special, yeah. Okay. So does y'all's units have to be plugged into power or is it completely standalone? Standalone. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'm looking it up online right now. <laughs> Seeing if you guys have a visualization of it. Kind of like the Joe Rogan show. Jamie, pull that up on the screen. <laughs> that's what we need. <laughs> we need Jamie. Put that up on the projector real quick. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that's that's kind of our main product. And that was, it's a, for us a market introduction. Yeah, and we piloted this product with Pioneer Natural Resources. And okay. They, yeah. And they had a pumping service company that mm -hmm. it was sold out now to another company. And we were very close to to our customer all the time, yeah? And we had many iterations to develop this product with our customer at all time, yeah? And at that time, Pioneer, it was 2014, uh, like everyone knows, yeah, and there was a downturn. They were really into designing equipment that it makes the whole process more efficient. And that, and we were the technology guys behind it. And, and uh, the lithium ion battery part of it is kind of our main know-how, yeah, which we had from the automobile industry in doing hybrid cars, electric cars, and we're bringing this kind of same battery into the into the oil and gas business yeah, and into frack equipment. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking at your website right now. So is there actually a data play on this too, where you can have more insight to your energy consumption? I see that you guys, you know, it says that it's Sophia ready and I'm, I'm looking at some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said at the beginning, it's electrification in a way that we electrify with the battery and we get rid of the hydraulics. And this next part is digitalization. And that's what we also learn, learning by doing in a way, having very close contact with our customers in a way that they didn't have performance tracking of their frack equipment. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It is, well, we, we have the German word like, it's a material, War, yeah. If I translate it, yeah. Yeah. Because the people go. Well, what's the German? What's the German? I want to hear. You want to see? It's a schlagmaterial, yeah. Yeah. So I can't say that. Material schlag, yeah. That's that's the German word, yeah. Okay. And you know, people were like doing. Yeah. If you have a maintenance cycle of 500 hours, you whatever you do, you bring it back and just change everything, and you don't know what is happening. Yeah. So. We saw this potential, one, of the maintenance side, and two, we saw a big potential between, and I, I heard in the podcast in the past that many people are working on this, there is a huge difference what operation wants and what the mm -hmm. management wants. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And through our battery, 
battery, which is at the end is a controller in, inside of it. Yeah? That's why we call it engine standby controller. Yeah, and through that we get a lot of data that that is usually not known by the management, which mm -hmm. they need to see how the operation is doing. Yeah, so. Through there, we can see, because we're connected to the J939 and are connected to the engine, to the transmissions, we can have machine learning algorithms and we detect, for example, the numbers of stage that that unit is doing. We know how many pump hours has been doing, how efficient it has been on that day. We have a track of the last seven days and it's fully automated and it connects to the IT of oh, our customers. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and you start, I mean, getting a lot more insight on what your equipment's actually doing and the, the stress that it's going through mm -hmm. instead of just, I mean, guessing. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a consistent theme, especially so not just here, but with a lot of other guests. You know, it, it all comes down to efficiency. I think after the last downturn in 2014, I think if people have realized mm -hmm. we're kind of just running the equipment into the ground, we're kind of just punching a whole bunch of different holes. We're not actually looking at any of the data. We're not we're actually looking at efficiency. And so it is it is refreshing to see that more people are focused on that. And it is it's also refreshing to hear that you guys are working with Pioneer, that companies of that size are actually looking at efficiency, especially yeah. things like this. Yeah, and what I also believe it's it's very important about data, it's it's not amount, it's more quality. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's what what we're working a lot. Yeah. People are just getting a huge terabytes of of data, and they, you cannot do anything with it. Yeah, and what we do, similar to the automobile industry, we just locally on the controller on the battery, we say, well, we're gonna analyze the data in there immediately, and we just give already statistics out of it. Yeah, so this way, when we send data to our customers' IT or to Sophia, which is our platform for sharing data with our customers, that's it's some data that has already a value and analysis behind it. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And so this is what we think it's very important. Yeah? So going, you guys were working for Pioneer. I think they sold off their pressure pumping to ProPetro, yeah. $400 million. What were some of, I mean, was that one of y'all's first clients that you guys were running this on? Or Yeah, well, I mean, to see in the EKU history, I mean, we are three founders. And one of our founders, like I said, Emmanuel, he was with MTU. Our other founder was is Leonardo. He he was working in a software company in Germany, which is now our, also our investor. And I was working for Bosch on the battery side. So we had like on the founders very good technology knowledge. Mm -hmm. yeah. And are they both in Germany? Yeah, still? they're both, both oh, okay. in Germany. Yeah, I want to come visit you guys in Germany. That gives yeah. me an excuse to come over to Germany. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're always welcome. Yeah, and then I mean. And then it's kind of crazy you're going to start a startup in Germany for the oil and gas industry in here in Houston. Yeah. yeah. So uh, usually that doesn't work. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you yeah. know, we're, we're telling you that we're in Switzerland. I mean, the reason that we're over there is for another pumping technology, a new pumping technology that, you know, they they developed the technology and then wanting mm. to get in oil and gas. And we're starting to see this where, you know, these technologies are being developed and, and taken from other industries. And like, okay, yeah. I think this can be applicable to oil and gas. And, you know, the American market is the market that's going to adopt it the fastest. So yeah. we're starting to see a lot more of that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, and then coming here to the U.S. and Houston, it was very helpful at the beginning that we were with the Houston Technology Center, which is now Houston Exponential. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. And they were our, our accelerator here at the beginning. So they introduced us to many customers that are our customers now. Awesome. 
and that gave us also credibility to start with Pioneer. Yeah. And and Pioneer, well, they they are first movers, very innovative, and in that way, and that that kind of made everything work for doing this first pilot project over two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very good. I mean, if you, if I think now backwards, if we wouldn't do that, we wouldn't would not have now the quality of our product now. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you get Pioneer Natural Resources on that's a, a good, you know, early stage client to have. Yeah. You know, that gives you some validation for sure. Yeah, yeah, it gives validation. So, uh, but they're very strict too, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they hold you to a high standard. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, at the end, I mean, especially for the companies out there that are starting, they don't have to be afraid to go billion dollars companies. We we sold our first prototype on PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. and just giving an insight of the background of the people that were behind it. Mm-hmm. We were these three guys that were discussing with Pioneer. And Pioneer met us because we were in a conference asking very good questions to the OEMs, yeah. engine OEMs, and saying, look, especially at that time, there was a lot of discussions with dual fuel. And we say, well, I mean, there are other ways of saving money than in dual fuel and avoiding all that methane slip and all that problems that they had. Mm-hmm. And we were in advance telling them, well, the tier four engine is going to be a lot different and idle is going to be a big problem for this. And kind of they were listening into that because they understood that. And we said, well, tier four engines with dual fuel is going to be very complicated. Yeah. yeah. How long have you guys been doing this at EKU? How long have you guys been around? We started 2014 in Germany and then we piloted for two years. Then we did a kind of upgrade for cold weather temperatures okay on the product and yeah okay you and your other two co-founders what was the story how did you guys all get linked up together how did that that little trio oh yeah come that, about? that's actually a funny story good i want to hear it <laughs> <laughs> well one of the co-founders leonardo me and, and him we know each other since i went to germany so we started the university together and that's been now 15 years okay and Manuel, he, we met, well, the University of Stuttgart is very known for race cars. Mm-hmm. And there is a competition also here in the U.S., uh, the Formula SAE, and we were competing, uh, or we were building this race car together. And in Germany, it's called Formula Student. And that was kind of the core of this company, yeah? designing these race cars, and that's where we met. And then afterwards, we were doing the combustion car, after a year, we said, well, Stuttgart is also building an electric car, and they don't have a team, and then we just team up with the same team that we are now the founders of EKU, and we did this electric car, yeah? And that kind of created many things. We did a world record for the fastest accelerating race car, Guinness World Record, and wow. and created this atmosphere that we have in our company, and 80% of our employees are now from that team, which okay. is having and building every year a new car, and you know, every year we're taking new guys. Then that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So do you guys still build the cars? Yeah, we still build the cars. If you come to Germany, we have three in front of our office. Okay, <laughs> we're coming to Germany for sure. <laughs> what kind of like body is the car? Is it more like a Formula One type? Yeah, it's a Formula One type, monocoque, carbon yeah. monocoque, and has a usually well, the ones we were building had two engines, but the electric ones now they are having four wheel drive. They have a high voltage battery, and they have a very interesting. 
controlled software, which is kind of the base where our software is built on. Now the teams even, they're building the number 10 now, I think, the 10th card after they're doing fully autonomous and we're taking a lot of that technology also for for our company and implementing things for safety. Uh, one of our main ideas is kind of having a camera and if someone is putting their hands in the pump, they just stop before they, you know, yeah. and things like this, yeah. Did you see that video the other day of that? I showed it to you, Jake. Did you see it where that video game, he was a simulation driver, he beat that F1 champion in a real race. Did you see that? Uh, no, no, I didn't see yeah, it. It's crazy. Yeah, like it's this, absolutely this, insane. This, this kid, he, he plays Formula One video games, simulation, and mm. they put him out on the track against one of the uh, F1 champions and he beat him by a second in a real race. <laughs> <laughs> Are you yeah. familiar with uh, a company called Remak out of Croatia? No. Uh, Remak, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I know many guys there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I thought that was, I see a lot of like, you know, similarities between you guys yeah. and them with, they make a lot of the technology for McLaren and a couple other. Yeah. And then now they also, they kind of went the different way. They made the technology first and then now they're getting into the car business and, and selling off their concept one. So. Yeah, no, the Remak, I, I know many guys there that during this kind of racing experience over uh, the three years, we kind of meet yeah. this kind of people. And I know people in the Formula One. I know people in Le Mans. I know people here in Indy because it's the same guys. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> such a cool story. Like, yeah, we're just chilling, building race cars, decided to start this company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the, the main reason was when we saw, you know, the powertrain of a frack pump, we were saying like, really, come on, you're investing 1.5 million and that thing has two controllers, three controllers maybe, yeah? And you buy a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW and that car has, or even a, a, any American car, it has over 70, 80 controllers and you pay, you know, 50,000 bucks and this are you paying 1.5 million. That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. You need a lot more intelligence and automations in Small things, yeah. For I'm, sure, yeah. yeah. Makes perfect sense. So how did you guys get put on to, you know, the frack pumps? I mean, you guys are in Germany. You know, you're not out in Midland, Texas, out in the Permian Basin where you're around these frack pumps. Like, who actually, you know, discovered, hey, you know, this could be a use case in the in the, in the the drivetrains of, of frack pumps? Well, Manuel, he, when he was with MTU, he was an application engineer for natural gas engines here in, in Houston for one year. Okay. And he was very involved with the frack pump engines. Yeah? Okay. And afterwards, he went to the R&D for the dual fuel system. So that's why we knew a lot about it. Yeah. Okay. And he said, look, this is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I think I have something here. <laughs> so are you guys, are you are y'all going to be, I mean, pretty much focused on this uh, frack pump niche or do you guys see other use cases that you might branch off? into uh, i think focus is very important and mm -hmm. uh, i mean we we had many many other opportunities and and i think uh, to get the quality that we want to have at our company we really need to focus yeah mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure we're gonna do only oil and gas for the next two years mm -hmm. and then we are now even now we have already a small r&d department that is working on improving the the product in a way that we can go for different applications because we can go to every application, industrial application that has a lot of idle and you cannot imagine how many there are there. I mean, if you see a mining truck, usually it's at the top of the mine and they're loading so, or unloading, they go down, then are loading and in between that, it's like 50% idle time. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So, but 
you know, if the mining truck fails, you have a big issue, and the frag pump fails, you also have an issue, but you always have another one on the next to it. So it was a very good market for us to start. Yeah, yeah man. I think about wireline trucks. You know, I yeah. used to run wireline, and I mean, you'd be out on location, and most of that is idle time. Yeah, so sure. yeah, plenty of use cases in oil and gas alone. So yeah, yeah, and the oil and gas wireline blenders, uh, all the back end of it, and that's where we're working too. I mean, we are working in really creating a small smart grid in a way that we can use the power of the frag pumps for powering the whole back end. Yeah, and this mm-hmm. is it's very simple. I mean, you have this huge engine that has two thousand two hundred fifty horsepower. Mm-hmm. And they run it at, I don't know, 1,500, 1,800. And all that different is like 30% of that horsepower is just not used because the the pump cannot take more or whatever reason, but you still have that you engine. You still have that, all that horsepower going into it, yeah. Exactly, and then you're paying per horsepower. So mm. you know, the main idea is kind of run all at 100% and create a smart grid and you know power, for example, the back end. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that makes a ton of sense. You have too much juice coming from the motor. You're not you're not utilizing it, and so yeah. you can use it in a smarter way to power everything. That's yeah. That's that's kind of when you enter into electrification and digitalization. This is the things you can do. And I think the very special part of our company is we have hardware and we have software. Yeah. So what enables us most of our software functionalities, which is at the end. A lot bigger, what we have to do on the software side is by having a very good hardware that enables us these things, yeah? And now with our product now, it's very simple in some cases where we have now the control of the, the we have the energy source of that frag pump, mm-hmm. and then we have control of it when you're doing, for example, location, GPS location of it. And Nowadays, most of the units, when they went off, they don't have power, and they, you don't know what it is, and things like this. And then mm-hmm. we can we have like a hibernation thing, and we always have power, and say, well, even if you shut it off, we know where it is, and things like this. Yeah. So this, this is, I think, a mixture always of having good hardware with software, but it creates a good product. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking on the hardware front. You know, anytime you're dealing with hardware, obviously it's not cheap to get started. You guys went through HTC Accelerator. I think you said that one of your founders invested too. How did you guys kind of go from the point of conception to actually having a viable product? You know, because I'm sure this wasn't cheap to develop this technology and business. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't have an investor until the product was actually almost fully developed yeah and we wow. bootstrapped everything and, and I, I guess that's possible when you got three smart engineers <laughs> they get uh, they get their heads together you can you can bootstrap it and make a couple trips to stuff. home depot uh, <laughs> yeah, yes and no i, I mean uh, i think the engineering part is important but also the background of you know being in a environment for example in these race cars that you ha- have pressure of a race and everything has to work and everything has to be into a detailed way that, you know, the less weight possible and this kind of things gave us the credibility, for example, to be in front of Pioneer and saying, look, this is the project and you're going to get it on this date and then it's going to be working. And after our initial installation with Pioneer, we were the only company in the whole Pioneer vendors that delivered on time. So these were very important at the beginning. Yeah. So deliver on time, be having a good schedule, be organized. And they financed us at the beginning for the pilot. And 
That's awesome. And that, mm-hmm. uh, and then afterwards, you know, it, it's a hardware company, so mm-hmm. we need a lot of, it's very CapEx intensive. Very, yeah. And we took an investor from Germany that helps us now to okay. have the production, what we have now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you go, you get the pilot customer with Pioneer, they end up financing it. I don't think a lot of people know that that's a solution when they yeah. have physical equipment that if you can convince, you know, one of these larger independent operators, or I mean, even like, I mean, Equinor has great VC programs that if the technology can be mm-hmm. utilized within their assets, you know, they'll, they'll fund it. So there's a, a lot of opportunity out there to get it fund, you know, get the pilot funded by a company and utilize it on their assets to see if it, if it's viable. Yeah, you, you have that opportunity with almost every single one of the super majors has, you know, kind of like their corporate venture capital arm. Most of them, they all kind of invest at different stages, but I think that it's becoming more and more early staged where you do have those opportunities to come in and, and, and have, essentially have a paid pilot or, or mm-hmm. some kind of funding early on to, obviously it has to be used somewhere within their own business. That's kind of the stipulation for most of the CVCs. Yeah. But there are companies like Pioneer and, and around that size that, that do the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's just not as much of that CVC structure Mm -hmm. around it yeah which is probably you know a little bit more flexible too a little little better so what are some of the challenges that you guys have had i mean i'm sure there's been a ton of you know whether it's manufacturing headaches or 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 just you know whatever it might be what are some of the biggest challenges that stick out to you well i mean i believe well there are many challenges i think uh, there are technology challenges i think the biggest one because was legal negotiating a contract with Pioneer wasn't easy. Yeah, and, I don't and you know, it, yeah. you are three guys and you don't understand anything <laughs> about this. You know, you get a 20, 40 pages contract there and what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> I think that there were the biggest challenge. But if you have a good team, I mean, we don't, there is no way that a big challenge is going to overrun us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's more like, okay, well, let's get in front of it and work on it and see. How we get so through that, yeah. You can't replace having a good team. No, no way. No way. You, you guys can just all attack problems. I mean, yep. you know, there's a, a reason, just like you said, that who you guys were in your backgrounds, you know, carried weight because companies invest in more so teams and people than they do products. For sure. That's the most important thing, yeah. So what are you guys looking towards 2019? What are some of the, the, the big goals or aspirations that you guys have in the coming year? Well... I mean, uh, many things, yeah. Uh, yeah, take over the world, <laughs> take over the frack pump industry. Uh, yeah, I think, well, we, we're finally in a stage that from creating prototypes, we converted in a company that is doing products, yeah? Mm-hmm. So this this is a different, different company now, yeah? And yes, uh, there's a new structure in a way that now we have production, we have, we look like a normal company now that we have, procurement and this kind of things that needs to be done so the business goes goes on yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now the biggest challenge is we finally are having employees here in the US and I'm moving here uh, next month and now we're going to be a group now we are three here in the US but we're going to be at the end of the year a group of six seven eight persons you now and together with the 38 that we are now in Germany. You know, wow. It's going to be an interesting company. Awesome. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're becoming a, a big operation now, looking, looking yeah. serious. Yeah, it's, it's getting serious. I mean, 
<laughs> Things are getting pretty serious today. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. At, at the beginning, you know, it was crazy. At the beginning, we uh, with hundred thousand dollars, we did half a year, mm-hmm. and uh, we paid ourselves. Did the prototypes, did all kind of development, and now with hundred thousand a month, we don't <laughs> go over one month. Yeah, it's it doesn't, yeah. That that's kind of. The new things that are coming to us and saying, "Well, yeah, it's now more serious on the end." And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and those challenges of moving from you know kind of being in that startup mode to now you guys are kind of entering that growth mode. Yeah, and the other challenge, twenty nineteen, we're introducing a a new business model. This is what startups usually do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, for going more in in a way in a performance base of our product. Yeah. Our product is, for most of our customers, uh, expensive on the CapEx side, but very valuable on over a period of three years. Yeah, mm-hmm. But we want to be in the same boat with them. Yeah, So we're creating a performance base. If our system works, we get paid. If our system doesn't work, it doesn't get paid. Interesting. So, so we get a broader amount of units out of it. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I mean, but when you have you know the, the insight, that you guys are able to extract from that. I mean, that that's possible because you have clear transparency into the benchmarks of how that's performing over time. So that's, yeah, I mean, if you come in with this value proposition and then you're like, hey, we're also going to have skin in the game, we'll make this performance-based contract instead of charging you for all these capital expenditures up front, then... You don't ever who, see that in the oil field. Who can, it's kind of just who, pay us. Who can, say, who can say no? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's like yeah. the ultimate sales pitch. Yeah, but that's kind of important because especially that makes us or obliges us to go to the operations and be with the operating guy there with the maintenance guy there which by the way they give the best ideas for doing new technology yeah? mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we want to see more we want to be more involved in that and at the end okay uh, we're gonna work with the management making it possible yeah but it's amazing how the operation guys has so many good ideas, but they don't have the time to explode it. And usually we go there, oh, this is very good. We have a good example with another product that we have. And we got that information, for example, on cold weather that diesel fuel heaters are are having a lot of issues and this is a problem and all that, but they don't have the time to develop it. And we just took all the requirements out of it, created that dual fuel heater in a way that is redundant, it gives data, it has an auto restart, it doesn't have to take care by, it takes care by itself. And now they are installing it and piloting it and having a great solution. Yeah, Then they don't need now to freeze their units to move from one well to the other well, so they maintain it under temperatures and, you know, we're getting pain out of them. Yeah, And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're looking, that's why we want to be very near to the operations. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if you ever need a good idea, you just go talk to someone that's like on ground level, boots on the ground operations. I mean, they're the guys that are dealing with the problems. I mean, this is the same when I was roughnecking, you know, out in the field. I saw a ton of stupid shit. Like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So (laughs) over your your decade of field experience across multiple companies, how many times did you have executives come to the field? I could count it on one hand if I could even remember of a time. I mean, yeah. there's not a time that sticks out to me. 
And I can think back to the Marine Corps as well, that every time that we had somebody high up come, it was like we put on this huge front that everything was okay and they were not actually seeing problems. <laughs> and so I think that's a huge, there's a huge disconnect, right? And so it's like these guys get so comfy in, in the headquarters and actually don't take the time. They're like, okay, why are we inefficient? It's like, well, go fucking spend a week in the field. Reminds me of a, yeah, it reminds me of a story with Elon Musk when they were having all those workplace injuries at his uh, Tesla factory. Mm-hmm. That motherfucker went and worked on the line, the assembly line. Put a bed Next yeah. to the assembly line. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's like, if my employees are getting hurt, I'm going to come here, boots on the ground, see what's going on. That way I can understand the problems that they're facing. No, that's, that's very important. No. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, yeah. you got to have, you got to be in tune with what's actually going on in the trenches. hundred percent. So before we wrap up, I got to ask you, since I'm a huge car guy, so like, what's your, what's your favorite sports car? You're in the, you're in the racing world. I'm going to assume it's probably going to be German, but I could be wrong. Um, Well, because I worked for Bosch in the past and I was developing batteries for them and now I like cars that I have driven. And uh, and one cool project I was in it was the 918 Porsche. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's a very awesome car. That's yeah. a very yeah. awesome car. But it's not something that you drive every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the grocery getter. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So and, for those people who don't know, that's a about a 1.5 million dollar Porsche. It's the, yeah. the hypercar version. The doesn't really get much higher than that, especially for Porsche. So yeah, it's a beautiful car. Absolutely beautiful car. I think yeah. that's a good choice. I exactly. like that one. Yeah. Really, Can't go really. wrong with that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually a very, very cool car. And when I was in the development and we had paparazzis coming to us and things like this, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Man. Okay. So on the agenda, next time we talk to you, well, you'll, you'll be moving to Houston, but we're going to, next time you make a trip to Germany, Jake and I are going to tag along. That way we can, uh, I want to go see some race cars some and race some cars. cool, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and see well, the technology firsthand too. Yeah, Germany, I think, has pretty neat stuff. What's <laughs> <laughs> got more winter stencils? <laughs> it's, it's got really neat stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I tell all our customers, October is a good time to go to Germany, <laughs> and we went, for example, this year with our whole company to the Oktoberfest, and you know, you got your big beers. Have you been to any Texas Oktoberfest festivals? No, not yet. Not okay. yet. I'm going to see that next year, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take you to some. <laughs> You'll probably be disappointed compared to what's in Germany. But. Uh, I imagine. I don't know, man. Texas Texas has Where's that the biggest, What was it? It was in New Braunfels? Yeah. The biggest Oktoberfest? Yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll get a, a comparison. So we'll do a Oktoberfest here in Texas and then we'll fly over to Germany and see. We'll just vlog both of them. We'll let the viewers determine <laughs> which <laughs> All right, man. Hey, we appreciate you coming on the show. Really interested to see what you guys do. We'll have you back on sometime soon to see. Where can people find you? Obviously, so we'll put it, we'll put links in the show notes. So LinkedIn, URLs. Yeah, LinkedIn, our, our website. That's That works. The what, what's, what's your website? Our website is ekupd.com. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to come on, man. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's cool. I think uh, this is also good for because i know that the german guys are listening to this podcast because i I told them look this is what the industry it's maybe doing in the next years yeah look at that maybe we have some ideas that we can help out awesome man we appreciate it looking forward to seeing you guys succeed okay thank you yep